Hey guys, I'm Megan. I'm an alcoholic. Hey, so um, welcome. Welcome to AA. It was awesome to see so many newcomers here. Um, I, I heard someone say, welcome to Alcoholics Anonymous, the world's largest organization that no one ever wanted to be a part of. Uh, so welcome, you guys. Um, I'm so excited that there are so many um, newbies or people in treatment here because I've been to treatment so many times and I have such a heart for that. I do a lot of H&I. Um, I want to thank the people that, that came out um, to see me speak today. You guys, I love you so much. There's some really important people in this room. Um, so my sobriety date is March 11th, 2017. I have a spot. Thank you. Took me eight years to get it. Um, my, I have a sponsor named Carla. I have amazing sobriety sisters, um, but I have a sponsor who has a sponsor who has a sponsor, and I'm in close, regular um, contact with all of them. And I think that's that's what has made the difference is that I was finally willing to open up and be completely honest with myself and another woman. Finally. Um, so we'll start with some basics. My first drink, I was six months old. Um, I was born in uh, Napa in wine country. And my mom would take me wine tasting, like in the snuck, you know? And um, I guess at six months old, she and my dad went wine tasting. <clears throat> and I kept reaching for the glass. And so um, in my mom's words, she's like, I'm going to fix her wagon. And I'm just going to let her taste the wine. And then she won't like it. And she'll stop reaching for the wine glass. Uh, so apparently she held the glass to my lips and I sputtered and made this face and I immediately reached for the glass and poured it all over myself. <laughs> and she was like, oh my God. So my mom still to this day blames herself for my alcoholism and I still let her. I still let her. <laughs> yeah, I just saw my mom. I just got to spend um, five days with my family at a family reunion. Um, it's so funny, I told my therapist later, I'm like, there's no one that can push my buttons like my mom. And he was like, sweetie, your mom installed those buttons. And it was so true. Like, all the coping skills that I have today, uh, boy, they all, I, I needed every single one of them, you know. I, <laughs> I would find myself, like, it's okay to go take a break, take a nap do my meditation, but I do a lot of yoga. I do a lot of meditation. That's been, um, trans just, it's transformed my thinking. Um, but I found myself doing a lot of like, <laughs> exhale, you know. Um, yeah, but it was, it was the first family reunion I've been invited back to in six years, so that's pretty awesome. Um, I got to be around, um, you know, alcohol in it didn't affect me. Didn't even think about it. You know, I feel so blessed and grateful to be in a position now where alcohol just doesn't seem to affect me anymore. I've been placed in a position of neutrality. Um, God has become my defense against that first drink. Um, for a long time, I tried to operate without him. I tried to think, that I got it. I got this under control. Um, and it's, it's pretty amazing to me to, to realize now, like, it seriously does. I have a roommate who keeps vodka in the freezer, and I don't feel the need to drink it at 2 o'clock in the morning. Like, whoa, what's up with that? <laughs> so I am a low-bottom indigent drunk. I am a hope-to-die, hopeless alcoholic. Like, 
I yeah. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll try to track along the progression of my drinking because relapse is a part of my story. Um, if you're in this room and you're new and you've relapsed and this isn't your first rodeo um, and you feel like there's no hope, I'm living proof there's hope. Um, if you feel like your life's over and it's never going to get any better, it will, it can. Um, if you feel like you're alone and no one understands, you're never alone in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, there are so many people who have walked there before you. And I was told several times, like, Megan, you're not that unique, you know? <laughs> I thought I was the only one that had gone through all this, you know? Um, there's always someone who's walked that road before you. You're never alone. Things can always get better. So um, I had a really normal upbringing, you know? There wasn't any crazy abuse or anything like that. There wasn't a lot of trauma. It was pretty normal. My parents divorced when I was young, really young. And um, I was like a latchkey kid. I was athletic. I started swimming when I was like five. It carried me all the way through to a college scholarship. I was, um, you know, a good student. I... Um, I had my daughter when I was 19 years old, so I got pregnant and I married her dad, and that he should have been a, a boyfriend mistake, you know. But um, so I had my daughter when I was 19, and um, and I mentioned that up front because it really played a part, I believe, in in my disease. Um, I am also I identify as a Al-Anon. I do double winners meetings. Um, I found out much later on that codependency and Al-Anon issues played a huge part in my continued relapses because I was always focused on um, other people. I was going to get sober to, you know, be that mom or, you know, fix the relationship or be the employee or, you know, I was always going to fix it for, for another reason other than me, other than I was worth it, other than I deserved it. I really didn't know who I was, you know. Um, so I'll back up. I had I had my first, you know, drink. It's just normal stuff through high school, you know. Um, I, I experimented a little bit with outside issues, nothing too bad. But when I was a senior in high school, I had a um, psychology teacher who was an Al-Anon, and she assigned us to go to a 12-step meeting. It was part of the class. So we had to go. She said she didn't care what we went to. It could be AA or whatever. And I thought, okay, well, I'll, I was doing a lot of this outside issue, and um, I thought, I'll go to that one. So I went to Cocaine Anonymous, and I was introduced to the fellowship. And I stayed sober for two years, actually. So um, life happened, and I became a, you know, became a mom, and, um, and I, I kind of just fell away from it. But I, I, could, I never really accepted that I was an alcoholic. I thought that the issue was other stuff, you know. So um, I'm really grateful for that introduction to the fellowship, and I'm grateful for that introduction, even though it didn't stick the first time. Um, I'm grateful because it presented me with a toolkit, and and I really knew, like, always in the back of my mind, I knew, like, if it ever got really, really bad, there was a place to go and get help that worked. It really worked for other people. So I'm really glad I wasn't prejudiced or court ordered when I first came in. When I first came in, um, so I'm really I'm grateful for that. Um, but life happens, you know. I I went to college. I became a mom. I started working. Um, 
when I had my daughter and divorced her dad, I, I stayed in school. I think I stayed in school out of a resentment for my mom because my mom's like, oh, I always knew that you weren't going to finish college like when I got pregnant. And I'm like, ha, huh, I'm going to finish. So I did. I finished with a 4.0 and um, as a single mom and working full time. So, um, you know, one of the things I was doing a study the other day with, um, I sponsor a couple girls and I was doing her first step. And we were going through, through um, you know, the doctor's opinion in the book when it talks about how before Alcoholics Anonymous that people were either locked up, they went insane, or they died. And how lucky we are today that we have a place that we can go. Um, and I'm grateful now that in society there's a little bit more acceptance for recovery. Um, I'm glad that the American Medical Association defines addiction and alcoholism as a brain disorder. It helped me tremendously to understand that I wasn't a bad person trying to get better. I was a sick person. I was trying to get well. That helped me a lot. Um, so when um, I had my daughter, went to college, went, got a job, got married again, and stayed married for 15 years, and that's when my alcoholism really did start to take off. Um, our marriage went back and forth. We ended up divorcing. And um, that's when I really just dove into a bottle of vodka, and I did not want to come out. And in between there, I started going to AA. I realized I've got a really, I've got a problem, and I need to reach out. I need to get some help and try to make this better. Um, I had a career. I had a house. Um, it was there that I met a couple of people that are in this room. Um, this meeting used to be one of my home groups, so I started coming to AA in like 2011 um, of my own accord. I felt I thought I was broken. I really did. I thought I was ready. I thought, okay, I'm, I'm ready to do what it takes. And I could get sober, but I couldn't stay sober. I would get 30 days. I would get 60 days. I would get 90 days. Um, congratulations to the chip takers, you guys. It's it's a lot. Like when I see people take a 90 day chip, I'm like, my friend Kyle's gonna take 90 days tomorrow. I mean. God, at the end, going going like an hour without a drink, it was um, it was hell. And going through 30 days or 60 days or 90 days, man, um, just hang in there, you guys. It does get better. So I heard a statistic. Um, I heard a statistic that of all out of all the people in the room that try to get sober at one time, that only 20% of those people will be able to get to a year. But out of those people who do make it to a year, 80% of those will continue on through multiple years of recovery. So that tells me that um, the first year is the hardest, you know. <laughs> so hang in there. You guys seriously hang in there. It's like they always say one of the hardest things about getting sober is that you get your feelings and emotions back. Um, yeah, right? Like... <laughs> I would call a friend like, I'm having a feeling. I don't know what it is. Like, I, I, when I got sober this time, how old was I? I mean, I'm, I'm, I won't age myself, but I'm like, I'm a grown woman. I'm well into my 40s. And I'm like, I don't even know what I'm feeling right now. And she gave me a chart of emotions. Like, okay, are we happy? Are we sad? Are we angry? Are we frustrated? Are we, ah. Um, and I did, I finally realized, like, when I went to treatment, 
they were like, well, why, um, why do you drink? Why do you drink? Um, I went through some cognitive behavior therapy, and it radically changed my life. It really, really worked for me. Um, why do you drink? Why do you get loaded? I'm like, because I like how I feel when I get loaded. I like it. I like the feeling of taking a drink and feeling the warmth spread through my chest and it, the, the gut punch of it hitting my tummy and the tingling throughout my arms. I like feeling relaxed and happy and free. Um, I like not having to think how I think. I don't like those repetitive thoughts that keep going over my head over and over and over and over again. I hate the feeling in my gut of feeling like I'm walking around with a cannonball because I feel so horrible and guilty and full of remorse about the things that I did to my family. I don't want to think. I don't want to feel. Therefore, I get loaded. Like, what's it? Um, <laughs> there, boy, there's the layers, you know, of what, what, I, what I've gone through to get um, to a point where now I can actually have some coping skills and I can deal with those feelings and I can deal with those thoughts. Um, I, I learned my recovery. I am not my thoughts. I am not my thoughts. I don't have to listen to my thoughts that I'll get in, maybe I'll get into a little bit more of that later, but it's, it has been trans, just transformational in my life to find a good therapist to go through some meditation and understand and realize that maybe my brain isn't telling me exactly the right thing. Uh, maybe I need to run that by someone else. <laughs> um, my feelings aren't facts. You know, check the source. Take some deep breaths. Sometimes those cravings will pass. Um, all of that um, are tools that I use now that came as a result of finding, finding a good person I could talk to, finding some good friends. Um, finding a good therapist. Um, by the way, the, how many of you guys are actually in treatment here? What? That many people? Holy cow. Woo. That's so awesome. Um, wow, this is, my, my friend Heather and I were like, it's so swanky here. You guys have like almond milk and soy milk for your coffee? Wow. Um, yeah, I think Scott was the first person I ever knew who had gone through a hospital-based treatment program. So when I first got, like, okay, need, I'm drinking too much, I can't control my drinking, maybe it's a little abnormal, like, I'll go to AA, and people were telling me, maybe you should consider a hospital detox, and I was like, I don't need that. Um, that's, like, extreme. Um, but, yeah, I ended up doing a, uh, I ended up doing a year of treatment. You guys, I ended up doing your treatment. I needed it. Um, but my encouragement to you, for those of you who are here, is stay, 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 stay as long as you can. There are Ashland girls here, too, as I understand. I'm a former Ashland angel. Yeah. Uh -huh. They tell you in Ashland, just stay. Um, your odds of staying sober multiply exponentially the longer you stay in treatment. Just, that's it. Um, and for as long as you are in treatment, um, you have a lot of tools and a lot of work that you can do. But what's going to keep you sober when you leave this program is this. It's Alcoholics Anonymous, and that's it. So find a sponsor. Find a sponsor while you're here and start working the steps. 
Um, that's what I what I did, and it, it worked. It worked really, really well. Um, so I, I started to drink very heavily towards the back end of my marriage, and I thought it was, like, totally normal <laughs> for people like me. Like, okay, here's what I would do. I would leave work. Um, and I had two kids. I had a busy, active life. You know, I would stop at the liquor store on the way home, and I would buy those, like, uh, what are those, like, Seagram's 100 proof, you know? And I would get Orange Crush, and I would pour out half the Orange Crush, and I would pour in the Seagram's vanilla if I could get it. And, um, and then I would buy a bottle of wine, and I would down that before I got home. And then I would run in the door, hey, everybody, hey, hey, hey. I'd open the bottle of wine, pour myself a glass really quick, and drink. So that way, if my, um, my husband smelled alcohol in my breath, it was because of the wine. Um, I started doing abnormal behaviors, like hiding alcohol in the shower. Like, who does that? Do normal people do that? I don't think so. Um, all kinds of stuff. My husband and I would play hide the bottle. You know, I'd be like, okay, let's let's try some measured drinking. Like he could he, he could pour me a couple shots or pour me a couple drinks, and then he would hide the bottle. And then I, when I when I would find it, I'd be like, yes, and I would celebrate by drinking the whole bottle and getting trash and wasting the entire day. Like it was it was not good. <laughs> um, he and I finally split up. He was drinking alcoholically. Um, I was absolutely drinking alcoholically. And it was then that things really, really got bad for me. Um, because I no longer, my daughter had moved out. She'd graduated and moved out. Um, I then only had 50-50 custody of my son. I was working as a project manager. I was traveling. Um, at the at the end, I was in like five states all at once, so I would help companies move from point A to point B. So um, I had projects in Kansas City, Oklahoma City, Albuquerque, Portland, and Pleasanton, which is in San Francisco. There's no fast way to get from any of those to each other, so I was in a lot of airports, so I was doing a lot of drinking. Um, I got to the point where I was physically so addicted to alcohol that I would shake. I would DT so bad without it. Um, I, I wasn't responsible anymore for being a full-time wife or being a full-time mom or being a full-time really anything because then I was kind of working for myself. And it just it hit the fan. It hit the fan bad. So... Um, my family realized how bad things were getting for me, and they tried. They tried. God help them. They tried. They tried so hard to take my <laughs> take my car keys away. They treated me like I was, you know, a kid again. Where they would take my car keys, they would take my wallet, they would hide them from me in an effort to try to get me to not drink and drive and drive to the liquor store, you know. And I learned all sorts of tricks. You know, I could walk to the liquor store. I could walk to the grocery store. Um, it, and and slowly and slowly and slowly, it just I started to really circle the drain. I started to black out really bad. Um, I would come to with a neighbor trying to drag me into the house because I had passed out on the curb. Um, really, really cool, embarrassing stuff. Um, thank God I had a group of people that refused to give up on me. And they would, they, everyone kind of got to know my MO, you know, when I would isolate, I would stop answering the phone, I wouldn't answer the door. Um, they, they would come in and they would, they would help me. And um, it got to the point where uh, I was making, I call it the ER tour of 
Southern California. I got to a point where every single time I put alcohol into my body, I would get hospitalized or arrested. 100% of the time. Yeah. Come to jail. Come to... Because, like, my parents had my keys and my wallet. Like, I needed alcohol, so I would steal it. And I would get caught quite a bit. Um, tried to worm my way out of it a couple times, but I started to pick up petty thefts. Um, it was really bad. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I've been arrested more times than I can count. I'm actually um, in the process of getting my criminal record expunged. Um, yeah, all of my misdemeanors are gone. They have been expunged. I'm in the process of getting my felonies expunged. So um, I couldn't understand. I couldn't understand why I was doing the things that I was doing. Is anyone else totally baffled by what's happened in their life in the past? Like, little, like, how did I get here? How did I get here? How did I get from being a, a, a girl who was a college athlete who graduated from college with a 4.0 homeowner? job in Newport Beach, you know, all this stuff. How did I get to the point where I'm literally waking up in jail every single time I put alcohol in my body? I don't, I don't understand. <clears throat> At the time, I had a, um, a sponsor named Patty Lord, and she's one of the people that saved, saved my life one time. So I've been dead, I've been dead twice. I've died twice from alcohol, just from alcohol poisoning. It's like before I even started outside issues. Um, and I was really, try really trying, you guys. Like, I was coming to the rooms. I was coming to meetings. And I, I couldn't. I'd go home and I would drink. Um, I couldn't get it. Um, you know, Scott, one of the people in this room, we, we used to go to the same home group meeting. And, um, and he, he was talking to me one night, and he's like, Megan, I don't want to attend your funeral. And that hit me. It really hit me. And I thought, okay, I'm going to get it. I'm not going to drink tomorrow. And I would... Um, you know, I'd wake up in the morning, and I would have a plan for the day, and I would be like, okay, I'm not going to drink today. Here's what I'm going to do today. And um, physically, my symptoms would be so bad, I started having, like, week or two-week-long hangovers, and I would sincerely mean it. Honest to God, I would mean it. I'm not going to drink today, and by 5 or 6 o'clock, I would be drunk again. Um, I started drinking in the morning a lot just to get rid of those DTs just so that I could function, you know. Um, but yeah, so I died. I died twice. I had people that would come into my house. Twice I was found with no pulse and blue, and they were able to revive me. I came to on life support. Um, <clears throat> one of the times I came to on life support, I was like, fuck, excuse me, I gotta get out of here. Like, <laughs> I've got that bottle at home. No thought, no thought in my head about the misery and the pain and the suffering and the humiliation that had just occurred like 24 hours before. The only thought in my head was like, I need to drink to get over this physical suffering and it's going to be different this time. It's going to be different. You know, I'm going to keep touching that hot stove. It's not going to burn me this time over and over and over. I desperately repeated the experiment of the first drink over for years and years and years. So this, I, I, the hospital story, this is, this is a really good one. So I came to on life support. I was in Hogue. And um, they knew I was a runner, so they had the bed, like, monitored with the, the where when you get up out of the bed, the alarms would go off. So I, I suffered my way through a couple hours until I convinced the nurse to take those off. And as soon as she took those off, I ripped my IVs out and I bolted from the hospital. And I kept thinking to myself, like, where's my car? 
I don't understand where I left my car. Um, so I'd gotten a DUI and a total blackout. And I hit a Southern California Edison truck and another driver. Thank God no one was hurt. Um, I totaled my Tahoe. Like, how do you total a Tahoe? No clue. Still to this day, no clue where I was, what I was doing. Um, but the insanity of this disease kept pushing me forward, and I was just in full flight from reality that this time it was going to be different. So I called a cab, pretty sure the security officers from the hospital were chasing me, and I'm like, can you meet me? So I called the cab, convinced the cab driver, he picked me up, to stop at a Ralph so I could buy another bottle and, and make it home. And I was so drunk by the time I got home that I didn't know where my keys were. My friends had hidden my keys from me. So I was, like, trying to break into my own house, okay? And I decided, okay, well, I can't get in. The house is so locked up, I'm just going to break a window. So I broke a window, and I did this to myself, if you guys can't see. I almost severed my arm off my body, um, 70 stitches, and I could not feel it. I was bleeding out on a window when one of my best friends came over. And that was, um, that was God. That was God saving my life. God has saved my life over and over and over again. She's like, sweetie, we got to get you to the hospital. I'm like, uh-uh. I'm not going back to the hospital. I'll be fine. Just Let's just bandage it up. Yeah. So... This disease is insane. It's absolutely insane. I believe that I suffer from a twofold illness. I have an obsession in my mind that compels me to keep drinking. No matter what, no matter how bad the consequences are, I need to keep getting loaded. And the second part of the disease is that I have a physical allergy. I react physically differently when alcohol hits my system. Um, there's a wealth of scientific data that truly does show that the brain of an alcoholic is different than your average um, normal drinker. They've done studies, Dr. Amen in Newport Beach has done several studies that show that the, the brain areas that are triggered, or that, that fire when you're triggered, um, are, are totally different. And the, he's compared it to the brain of a soldier who has PTSD. So they've done similar brain maps and scans, like where it shows the colors of the brain, green and, and yellow and red, where things are being highlighted. And when someone who is being triggered to drink or get loaded, who is an addict, the part of their brain that's firing is the same part of the brain that fires when a soldier who's seen active in a life or death situation it is being triggered. So there's this analogy that truly, are, he made the analogy that truly the brain of someone who suffers from addiction, our brains are like literally telling us that we're going to die unless we get that drink. Um, that, that blew me away because I could not understand why I couldn't stop drinking. I had a solution available to me. I had people that were willing to help me. Um, I, I couldn't understand, and Patty, Patty Lord told me it's because you're an alcoholic, and I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. I didn't get it. I didn't get it. So my brain, if, once I accepted the fact I truly am wired differently, um, and that, you know, once I take a drink physically, my body is going to react differently, where it's going to um, 
cause me to need more and more and more. So I believe it's a twofold illness, you know. Um, thank God he's removed my obsession to get loaded today. He removed it right away. This time when I got sober, I've not been tempted to drink or use in over two, in almost two and a half years. Um, that was that was tremendous for me. Um, you know, so when when I got to the point where I realized I needed help, like I went, to, I finally agreed to go to Ashland. <laughs> oh, maybe I have a little bit of a problem. I was I was. Um, so in between here and there, I want to mention this a little bit. Um, in between staying sober, I, w- I, had, I had about a year of, of total sobriety. I was working the steps. I had a great sponsor. Things were going okay. Um, I tore my ACL, and I needed orthopedic surgery. Uh, I went out on pain meds. So I'd like to... Um, just mention that I respect Alcoholics Anonymous, but I, I really want to mention that because to me it was a trick in my mind of like, I'm not drinking. I'm not drinking, you see. Um, it led me down an extremely dark path, and I'm going to skip over that out of respect for this program, but let's just say it's a, um, a tremendous amount of pain and suffering. I lost my home. I lost my family. For about three years, I didn't see my son. Um, and I finally was given an opportunity to, to go to treatment, and I grabbed it. And I stayed in treatment and uh, for a year. During that time, I got a sponsor, and um, I gave myself, like, a fresh new start. And I wish there was, like, a magic wand I could tell you guys. Here's what I did. I did these two or three things. You know, if you're going to hear the same stuff over and over again, right? Get a sponsor. Work the steps. Go to meetings. Um, it's, it's very simple, but it's very, very true. So in this past two and a half years, I've been able to gain some coping skills. I mentioned that. Like, I don't think I had any real coping skills. I think one of the reasons why I kept relapsing over and over again is because I was, like, willing to work the steps. I was willing to go to meetings. I was willing to do what it took, but I couldn't, like, finish. I just couldn't. I am a master at self-sabotage. Like, I went to Ashland. I quit on day 28. Like, I went to treatment, to a 90-day treatment center. I got kicked out. I was like the model, you know, model patient. And I got kicked out on day 86 of a 90-day program. Like, I was so close. Um, I thought the rules didn't apply to me. So, so many things have been able to just sink in. Like, the rules, you know, they do apply to me. Um, I learned some very hard lessons. A lot of that included jail. Um, when you're, when you're truly, you know, at at that bottom, there, you know, like I said, I I thought my life would never get better, but it really, really did. It really has. Um, God has given me so many tremendous blessings in the past two and a half years. Um, I thought I'd never be able to have a career again, and today I'm just gainfully employed. I'm in a management position. They gave me the keys. You know, I'm in charge of the money. Um, these are miracles today that I'm trusted again, and I believe that it's an absolute miracle that, that God has given me. And I don't think it's just because I, I, I asked for it. Like in the car, we were, we were talking about this on the, on the way up, that like I don't think God ever wants us just to sit back and do nothing while we're waiting for him to answer our prayers. You know, if I'm praying for that job, I need to pray maybe – 
I, you know, God, will you please make me a better employee? Um, if I'm praying for that relationship or that friendship, maybe I should have God, maybe I should focus on, like, God, please make me into a better friend. Make me into the perfect partner rather than praying for those things. I hope that makes sense. It really sunk in um, in the past couple of days because I thought, I, I didn't just sit back and wait for the job to land in my lap. Like, I took action. I did the daily simple little things that were in front of me to do. I did a meditation every day when I woke up. I read pages from the book every day when I, most days when I wake up. <laughs> I go to a lot of meetings. I talk to a lot of newcomers. I sponsor women. Like, um, I, I have a high level of accountability with my sponsor and with her, my sponsorship family. Um, these simple things, you know, show up, be honest, work hard, don't complain. Like, I try, you know, I try to do that. And, um, and while I'm taking the right action and leaving the results up to God, amazing, beautiful things have happened in my life, um, things I never expected. So they say, like, if you have goals, write them down and, and wait and see what happens in two years or three years or five years, you know. God has been able to do things through my life that have just wildly exceeded my expectations or what I even thought would happen for my life. Um, Today, like my life is is pretty, I, I try to keep things pretty simple today, you know. Um, I used to just get so caught up in my roles and my identity and who I was to other people. Some of them rightly so. I became a mom when I was 19. I have two children. I'm a mother. There's this maternal instinct, you know. Um, but I was married, and I was, you know, when all those roles were stripped away, like when my family didn't want anything to do with me, when my parents refused to take my calls anymore, it's like, who was I? Who was I? Uh, when I didn't have the kids to take care of anymore, you know, who was, who was Megan? And through the, um, through the mindfulness meditation that I've done, um, I've been able to find out who I am, and I've a uh, little bit of, of that I'm worth it. I am worth it. That there's a survival instinct in me that um, truly just wants to wants to live and wants not just to survive, but to have a have a good life and be of be of service. Um, it's kind of like a a term that you hear a lot in Alcoholics Anonymous. But so like last week. I worked two, um, two days where I worked like 12-hour, 13-hour days, and it was awesome. It was totally worth it. Mm. But I hit the wall at like, I'd worked for 13 hours last Wednesday, and I had committed to going to an alumni meeting to work with a new sponsee and work her first step with her. And I was dragging. I was dragging. And I'm like, God, please just get, you know, get me through this. And being able to work with her and see the light come on just a little bit and be able to share with her some of the miracles that have happened to me in my life when I admitted that I was powerless and that I needed um, I needed an act of God to remove this obsession from me and I needed to ask for help. I, I have always had, it's a character defect. I hate asking for help. Like, I got this. Um, asking for help and... When I was able to share that with her, I left so energized. I was on, I was on such a high. You know, I was able to really um, just participate in someone seeing someone else's life um, become a miracle. You know, and um, you know, 
through the through the process that I've gone through of working the steps, um, you know, the, the steps say we'll have a spiritual experience as a result of having these steps. Like I just wanted the result. I didn't want to do the work, if that makes sense. So I have to do all of those things. You know, because I'm pretty good. If you tell me to do 12 steps, I'm pretty good at getting through like 10, maybe 11, but like 12. Um, and it's just a process of trust. You know, I, I have women that I trust today. I'm part of a sponsorship family that um, we do fun things like retreats and we have monthly get-togethers. And it's it's amazing to me the friendships that I have today, the relationships that I have today, and that I've had an opportunity to, to come share with you guys. Sherry, thank you so much for allowing me to come share my story with you guys. Um, I think my time's almost done. I just wanted to um, to thank everyone so much because it's been so awesome to, to be here. I mean, I haven't been back to this meeting. It was one of my home group meetings in, um, God, probably six years. So it was great to come back and see a lot of your faces again. Thank you. Thank you.